Hey, and welcome to episode 12 of the Gospel for Everyone podcast. I'm your host, Brendan Crisma, and I'm so glad you're here. Well, on today's episode, Jason, Josh, and I sit down and we talk about the righteousness and justice of God, the atonement of our sins by the blood of Jesus, and what parts of the law we're called to still uphold today. If you haven't yet listened to the message from Sunday, we highly encourage you doing that before moving forward with this episode. You can find that message on quadcity.church. Well, thanks again for joining us. We hope you enjoy. Well, hey guys, happy Monday. Happy Monday. Happy Monday. It's Monday after a, what felt like actually a pretty long fall break for us. We just stayed in town, but I was out of the office all week. All three of us. I don't know if we said that on the last podcast, but all three of us took uh, took some time off for fall break. So let's start there. Josh, what'd you guys, what were you guys up to? Yeah, so this fall break, we uh, got to hang out. Wife was actually off work one of the days, which is kind of unique. Um, so Monday, we all went down to the valley. The boys have been dying to go to a trampoline park. Uh, so we went. You just to- want to have one of your kids with a broken leg? Nah, man. This was pretty safe. My boys aren't real risk takers. I mean, they are and they're not, which is interesting part of fall break for us. So um, fall break for the Garrett boys was about conquering fears and about me helping them beat fear. So it was. So we went to trampoline park, but also it was really cool on Wednesday, Brendan and Porter invited us out to go rock climbing. Obviously, the Christmas are a rock climbing family. The Garretts, we're not a rock climbing family. We are now. We are now. We're hooked. Right? But our boys, it was it was a great opportunity. So at the trampoline park, there was this giant slide. It was really high. went really fast. And it kind of launched you up and you landed on this mat. And the boys wouldn't do it. They're afraid. It was going too fast. And so I told Judah, hey, man, I need you to do it first. He's my oldest. And once he did it, then Silas did it. And he did it his first time, and his face was pure terror. Like, he was crying the first time I asked him to do it. He wouldn't do it. But then he saw his brother do it, and he made it. And then the same thing happened with Gideon. I can't do it. I can't do it. And then he did it, and they had a blast, and they did it 10 times in a row. Same thing happened with rock climbing. All three of them went their first time. They were both in—a couple of them were in tears. They were scared to death. And then— it's like they saw one another do it. And then they saw Porter like beasted all the way up through like, he was scared too, but they saw him just keep pushing through. And I was like, that's it. Just go higher than you went last time. And so I told Diana, I was like, fall break was all about us conquering fears. That was that was the, cool. that was the 2022 fall break at the Garrett's house. Yeah. It was fun to be a part of that on the rock climbing side of the things. Because again, like we... It, if you spend any time outdoors doing, I'm sure there's all sorts of activities which you would experience this sort of thing in, but like we've all been a part of the horror story of the dad that's like making their kid do the thing just because they want him to be successful at it. And it's like, oh, this was a really cool take on the, hey, success isn't getting all the way to the top. That's not what we're talking about. Success is getting one step further than you did last time. Yep. Like if we could just take one more step, right? Get just a little, little move higher, just one step higher. We're in good shape. And that's what my experience with Porter has been so far, which has been so fun because we just love getting outside and doing that together. 
And uh, sometimes he's scared. And sometimes he's it's like an irrational fear and that's okay. And it's like, dude, you've been here and we can calm down. And yeah, if you want to come down, we can come down and talk about it and you can try again and we'll right. just take one step in the right direction if we can. So That was yeah. really cool. It was fun. It was definitely a, a cool experience for them to get to do that. And like I said, as a dad, getting to watch that, to be there with Brendan and him just helping him like his knowledge and expertise. I was literally just the guy going like, you can do it. Come on. I've got you. Like, even if you fall, yeah. you're right here. Like, we're going to be okay. And so just that moment of, I think as dads, that's what we're trying to do. Right? Oh, yeah. My kids struggled because they're so competitive. They didn't know what the goal was to win. It, that is hard. And yeah. I, I remember saying to Jude, I was like, hey, the, the competition is against the rock. It's not against you beating Porter or beating Gideon or beating Silas. It's against you going, you beating yourself. And Brendan was like, yep, that's it, man. That's exactly what we're So we're all team sports. We score enough goals, you win a game. Yeah. So they didn't know what to do. They were like, how did we win? <laughs> right? We're yeah, all rock- going home with our bones inside our skin. <laughs> with the rock climbing, it's won. just, we had a good time. We had a good time. We challenged ourselves. That's okay. Sometimes, yeah, you got a little scared. That's great. Sometimes it's okay to get a little scared. Uh, I think we're missing some of that today. I think we're, I don't think we get scared enough. Amen. So. Uh, that that's a conversation for another day, probably. Uh, Jason, what were you guys up to? Uh, just for some context, for those of you who may be new or haven't had kids in school for a while, fall break is like what is spring break. You just have it in the fall. We've got a full week off. All the kids are out of school. So I know some of you came from California or other parts of the country, Oregon or Colorado, and they may not do that, but that's a big thing here. So after the first quarter, we have a week. So the kids were out of school. They don't do that everywhere? They don't do that everywhere. That's interesting. Every Yeah, every school I ever went to, we did fall no. break. Good Same. to know. Everything right. I've, always, I've always had it. Yeah, yeah. go ahead. Um, so for us, we did a, a an RV trip. So about every other year for this will be our third time, uh, our family will rent an RV and go take off and see things that we haven't seen before. So we went up and did that at Yellowstone a couple of years ago. So we tootled around Utah and um, Wyoming and Montana. So we did that. One year we went up to Colorado and stayed in Durango and and did that. This year we decided we wanted to go somewhere we hadn't been. So we went to New Mexico. And there's some cool things to see in New Mexico. So we went over to the White Sands uh, National Monument. If you haven't been there yet, it's 285 square miles of gypsum sand. So the same stuff that's in your drywall. It's just like piled up in 60-foot sand dunes, and you can get little saucers. Like you ride down on a snowbank, and you ride down the snow. And so that's what we did, and that was fun. Like uh, the vacation movie? Where he did like Clark Griswold? Did you? Did I don't. You, <laughs> uh, you got to give me more context. You know, uh, the Christmas Vacation. I no, I didn't see Christmas Vacation. I, oh. I've also never seen Christmas Vacation. I know it's a real popular movie. I but. did the other one. Well, I saw him try to do the lights one year, but I don't. remember. That's Christmas Vacation. Yeah, yeah, but I don't remember the scene about. He's on the snow. He sits down on the slide, and he's like. Shh. Shoots off like a rocket. He ends up going so fast. <laughs> no, it's just another funny movie. Of it, course, it yeah. didn't happen. But my, I do have a very funny video of my wife going down that I cannot air publicly. But it was really great. And if you have a relationship with us personally, um, I'll hook you up, and you'll have a blast laughing at that. So we did that, <laughs> um, and then we went down to 
uh, Carlsbad Caverns, which is great. Uh, about 1,600 feet down you go. I'm sorry. Yeah, 1,600 feet um, to get in. And then it's like you are you end up at like 700 feet below the surface. And there's lots of bats there. And so one of the cool things is you sit out at dusk and they've got an amphitheater there and literally watch a couple hundred thousand bats come out of this cave and spiral and fly off into the night. Um, and that's that was pretty cool. So um, we did stop into Roswell and visit the aliens. So we got to hear, see about the, the aliens in Roswell. And uh, there's this place called Sitting Bull Falls, which is this oasis out in the desert so we just went and did things like that so yeah. just drove around it was like 1600 miles in five days yeah tootling around new mexico there you go sounds like a fun trip it does it sound was. like a fun trip it was yeah. enough outside of the rv too yeah that you because i mean not like larts but a family of four i know you yeah. had your dog with you well, i had my dog yeah so that's a lot of people yeah. in a vehicle it is for that many miles. <laughs> 1,600 miles. Yeah. yeah. It was yeah. fun. That's good. Well, we stayed mostly in Prescott. We did some fun things. Porter got to choose like out of a, a jar, an activity to do, a secret activity to do every day. So we went bowling one day and like baked cookies for some friends one day. Uh, I can't remember what else was on the list. Went down to, down to the valley for a day. Then yesterday, or sorry, uh, what was it? Saturday, we tried to go catch some fall colors in Oak Creek Canyon, but we were a little early. So maybe next weekend, I, I bet next weekend or or the following, if you were to take 89A, drive through Sedona, jump on 89A, drive up towards Flagstaff uh, through Oak Creek Canyon, usually there's just beautiful color changes and that sort of thing. So it's a great it's a great spot. But yeah, we stuck, stuck around town and didn't travel, which was uh, actually kind of nice just to hang around the house a little bit. I got to go climbing, you know, uh, adult climbing a couple of times, which was real fun, just me and a buddy. So we had a good time doing that. And yeah, it was nice, relaxing uh, fall break for us. So yeah, glad to hear you guys had a good time. Well, hey, let's jump into uh, our text from this past Sunday. Uh, we had Grant um, Agler out with us which is always a joy. Um, I don't know about you guys. I always love having grants out. I feel yeah. like, uh, I, Jason, you've obviously known him since college, but uh, he just kind of fits um, from a different angle who we are as a church. You know, he he has a real strong passion for the Word of God, teaching it mm-hmm. in, in a similar way to what we do. But he also comes from the church that he's at now, does that very, very differently for a lot mm-hmm. of good reasons than we do. Um, so his angle, his perspective on some of the texts and some of the topics that we teach is always a little bit different, which I like. Um, so let's start there. Tell me just about a couple of things that stood out about Grant's message, uh, you know, as he was going through Romans chapter three, 21 through 31. Yeah, I, I enjoy it. You know, I've only heard Grant now a couple of times, didn't know him before working here, but, but definitely like him. He's a fellow big fella. So I like that. (laughs) Um, uh, but yeah, uh, you know, what jumped out to me was kind of the, part of the end of what he talked about um, with the the boasting verse. I think it's verse, let me look it up here. Uh, verse 27, where then is boasting? And I love, and the reason I loved it is because he did talk about a lot of the theology. Hey, if you're going to talk about theology, you're going to go to this passage in Roman for all of sin, for all I've done the things, for all of that. But he said, Paul wasn't trying to write a systematic theology book. Which, like, if you're seminarian or you go to Bible college or you've been around church long enough, like, that's what people have made Romans. 
And it, we've almost forgotten that this was a letter written to the everyday person to help them in their everyday walk with Jesus. They weren't trying to construct systematic theology. And so the boasting piece was like, hey, yeah, I, again, I, I don't know if I've ever heard a preacher say, I, I don't know if Paul wrote the first six verses. I, you know, that wasn't the point. It was more, hey, this was probably the point. And he's how he framed it with, hey, this is what was going on in the church. And then even how he framed how we are us versus them. And we always try to take the moral high ground. Like you, and we see ourselves doing that all the time. And his story is so similar to mine in his walk with his walk before Jesus is really rough. And even when he's talking about his wife, I was like, oh, that's my wife. That's literally her story. But even how I forget, how I forget just how magnificent. God has been to me, and I begin to judge other people. So I really, really connected with a couple of those stories um, because I saw myself so, so much in them, which I would imagine for those of you who didn't grow up in faith, you probably were like, yeah, that was me too. And now we do. We get to this place where we take this moral high ground, and man, I have nothing to boast in but Jesus and Jesus alone. So it was a great job. Yeah, for me, I loved the getting to the application point at the end where he's just simply ask the question, do you feel like you've been rescued? Like it's this difference between I go to church, I did the thing, I walk the aisle, I I now have these religious disciplines that I do on a regular basis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's all all of those are good. Great. Happy for you, happy for that. But have you ever come to the point where you recognized I needed rescued? Like I was so lost the righteousness that I brought to the table wasn't good enough. And I needed, needed, needed a savior to provide a righteousness for me. He dug me up out of the pit. So just framing the question there at the end of, have you been rescued? Do you feel like there was a moment where you were, you were destined for hell because of your sin and Jesus has saved you because of his righteousness? I just love that, the way that he framed that at the end. Yeah, that's good. And for me, I just appreciated, um, you know, there were a lot of ideas in this text and he was moving pretty quickly throughout some of them and and giving us some really good pictures. Um, and that's what Grant's really good at, right? Telling a couple of stories that help us feel the weight of what I think Paul's trying to communicate here, helping make it real for people. And there were two instances that I, I really appreciated. One, he slowed down when he got to this idea of atonement because it's a pretty com- complex idea, right? He slowed down and he really articulated um, this idea well, not only for people who have heard that word and are familiar with it, but for and someone who was walking in off the street that that would have had no concept of this idea of of the atoning blood of Jesus, the sacrifice that was made on our behalf, right? Um, so I really was appreciative of that. So the second piece I really appreciated was along those kind of same lines as he's communicating this idea of atonement and he shares a couple of pictures, right? Word pictures for us of what that's like. And one of them was, right, you get pulled over speeding through a school zone. And after the cop writes you the ticket, they actually pay you the money that it would cost to pay the ticket for you, right? And then he had the one about his dad taking him out back. Like, oh, these stories were really, really helpful. But he had this line at the end of them, which was, and I don't like this still doesn't quite articulate wholly what what I think Paul's talking about, but it gets us close. And I just love that honesty of, yeah, I don't know if we can articulate. Mm. Like, I don't know how, and I think he did a great job of getting getting us really close in the right direction. Um, but it is such such an amazing 
uh, grace to us that it's hard to articulate. And I, I found that powerful. It's the mystery, right? Uh-huh. It, that's the, the mystery of the gospel. As much as we try to make it make sense, there's the piece, like he was saying, that was so, it's hard to explain. Because we want to go, well, that doesn't make any sense. And you go, I know. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I know that doesn't make sense. Well, what's that like? I don't even know if I have something I can give you that what's that's like. Yeah. Because it, it is so incredible because nothing in our world makes sense. Paul has that thought in Romans 5 coming up, which is, I think he teases that out too when he's talking about will somebody ever die for a, a righteous person? No, not even for a good person. Like, he's like, no, <laughs> nobody would do this. Nobody would give up their life for wretched sinners. Only God would do something like that. So yeah, that wordplay was very powerful. I'm with you, Brendan. So the the old phrase that I remember is that we were actually saved by God, from God, for God. Like we're saved by God. Jesus was sent from God to save us from the wrath of God. So God sent his son to save us from God for God. Like God wanted us back in a relationship with him. And so again, those it does get complicated when we try to parse that out, but we were saved by God. We were saved from God. Like he, he said it at the 11. I don't know if he said it in all of them. This Jesus' death did not save us from the devil. He didn't save us from from some payment that was owed to Satan. No, no, no. He saved us from the wrath of God. So he saved us. It was God who saved us by God, from God, for God. Um, and that is remarkable, and it's hard to yeah. comprehend that. He also used the phrase, speaking of that, he used the word satisfy. That Jesus satisfied what that wrath. And there's a theologian, Anselm of Canterbury, right? He's got a lot of bad rap because he uses that word satisfy because we just don't understand that wrath of God piece, mm-hmm. and which was we've been talking about. So the instant he said that, I instantly went, oh, that's it. I remember reading about that guy and his work. And that guy has a book where he goes back and forth. He has two different characters. And it's all about this idea of the cross and what it really represented. It's mm-hmm. such a, it was written, you know, 1,500 years ago, but it's such an incredible work. But his big piece is that word satisfy. So when Grant said that, I was like, oh, yeah, man, that's yeah. the that's the picture for me. Mm-hmm. And again, we don't want to use that word. We don't want to talk about satisfying God's wrath. That's We avoid it usually, you know. Yeah, and it's right. It's all just a great picture of the righteousness of God. Like that's what I keep hearing is like God is – God is righteous, so there must be wrath and judgment. And he is righteous, so he solves that problem on our behalf for those who believe. Right? It's such an incredible uh, testament to his righteousness. Uh, I I would like to ask this question too. So because we had Grant in, um, Jason, tell us if you were to teach this text, like if you had to teach this sermon, right? Take the text, go through it, write a sermon, do the whole thing like you would any other week. Uh, What are some things that would have stood out to you? Well, it's funny that you asked that because, you know, Grant told the story about his plane not being able to land in Phoenix. And so I get this message that, oh, I'm going to be in Vegas and I hope I can get a car. And we all know what car rental. And I'm like, oh, no, I haven't studied this text this week and I may be up in six hours. So um, 
What would I preach if I stood up tomorrow? Which I don't think it would be hard for me because this is the first bit of good news that we have experienced uh, since we've started in the book of Romans. So if I were going to go back, I would I would just go back and I would start where we left off. And he did this a little bit, right? The chapter 10, I'm sorry, verse 10 of chapter three, there is no one righteous, not even one. We got to feel the weight of that. Verse 20 says, therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. No matter what you do, you haven't done enough. You're not going to get there on your own. And feeling the weight of that, verse 21, but now, and this is the moment where, like as he said, you want to throw the confetti, you want to blow the trumpets, you want to jump up and down and scream. But now, apart from the law, apart from the things that you can do, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. We can go back. I would have probably gone back and looked at a few of those promises from the law of the prophets where God showed, hey, there is a righteousness. There is a righteousness coming. And this righteousness was given through faith in Jesus Christ. And then in verse 22, 23, and 24, I would have pulled out this word all, that this faith in Jesus Christ is available to all who believe. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and all are justified. I love that all three of those, all three verses have that word all in it. And we called this series the gospel for everyone because we want to make sure that everybody knows this is, you're invited into this. Like this righteousness that he's declaring is available to all who believe. If If you can believe, like you're in, like this is the thing. So you've all sinned. We all get that. We've done the first three chapters. We all figured out that. But, verse 24, but all are justified. So the same word that talks about the condemnation of all is also used to describe the justification of all, that all can be justified. All are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came through and by Christ Jesus. So, that piece to me, just, it is so inclusive. It is so inclusive. Everybody gets an invite into this. All who believe and all are justified. Now, there is an exclusivity to it, and the exclusivity is through Jesus Christ. Like, it is by faith through Jesus. Everybody gets to come through the door, but there's only one door. And so, I think that's an important part of this. So, Everybody gets an invite. The door is open to all who believe and all are justified by the grace that comes through the the death of Jesus. So there's one big piece. Well, and I think it's noteworthy, right? You mentioned uh, the reason that we chose the the title for this series, The Gospel for Everyone, is the idea that what Paul's saying here would have been like world shattering to the Jews, right? Who were the exclusive people of God, right? Like, that's the whole thing that Paul, and that's why as we were getting excited about this series, it was like, I think that has to be the title. Is like, what is Paul trying to do? He's trying to explain, I mean, he's doing a lot throughout the course of the letter, but one of the core themes is he's explaining, hey, there is a new thing and yeah. it is it is available to everyone. It is no yeah. longer just the Jews, right? Yeah. Which he laid that foundation on the front end of the, yeah. the first three yeah. uh, or 10 weeks of the series that we yeah. did, the first three chapters. So I love that. So the second thing I... Again, if I was teaching this, I'd want to tease out. Again, I could you preach this for an hour and a half. There's just so much great stuff in here. 
again, we could talk about all of the atonement stuff and how powerful, and Grant did a great job of helping connect that back to the mercy seat and the day of atonement and did a great job with that. I would have loved to have teased out this, this picture. In my mind, I would probably use the board and teased out this picture that talks about, look, verse 25, that he did this. Okay, he did this, the shedding of blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. So one of the questions that I'll often get as a pastor, and you guys have probably gotten it too, well, what about all those people who died before Jesus came? How did their sins get forgiven? Well, it got forgiven because Jesus died. And so when you read that word in his forbearance, he left the sins unpunished. Forbearance does not equal forgiveness. So he, it was like God for from the time of Adam through the time of Jesus that God just kind of swept all of those sins under the rug. And everybody who acted and walked in faith like Abraham, those who participated in the, the sacrifice, sacrificing of bulls and goats, and they practiced those as an act of faith, they were pointing ahead to the time when Jesus would die. And that when Jesus' death happened, when the cross occurred, the forgiveness that came from the cross flowed in both directions. It flowed backwards to all of those people who had faith in Jesus, who had faith in the coming of the Messiah, who had faith that the blood of those lambs and goats would take away sin because they were the picture of the great lamb to come. So the blood of the the forgiveness of Jesus flowed backwards in time to forgive all of their sins, but it also flowed forward in time to forgive all of our sins. So they had a faith that was looking forward. We had a faith, have a faith that looks back in the blood of Jesus on the cross is at the centerpiece of both of those and brings forgiveness to all who have faith in Jesus. So I just love that picture there. And I think it's helpful for people to understand that all of those who were forgiven in the Old Testament were forgiven because their faith was credited to them at the death of Jesus, that all of their sins got forgiven in that moment. They hadn't been forgiven until Jesus died. So I think that's a big a big piece of that for me. Yeah, you know, uh, speaking about verse 26, and I love this, and, um, and I've taught this a couple of times, and so I always— I always try to draw people's minds to this idea of this word righteousness. It's really interesting because the the newest NIV um, in verse 26, it says he did this to demonstrate what? What did yours say? Demonstrate his righteousness at the present time. So I have the NIV 84, and it's to demonstrate his justice at, um, at the present time. And we hear that and we go, oh, those are two different things, right? But when you look um, at... At the Old Testament, you look in the Hebrew, um, and then you look in the New Testament, this word here for righteousness is dikianose. It's this beautiful picture, but in the Old Testament, it's uh, tadik. And usually, you will find righteousness and justness and justice, they're right next to each other. So when you look through the Proverbs, when you look through uh, the prophets, the Psalms, those words are matched up almost identical with one another, and they become interchangeable. And so right here in the New Testament, the language gets a little weird. And so that same word for justice and righteousness becomes the same thing. But we hear righteousness more as this understanding of being morally right before God. 
And while that's a piece of it, it misses the picture because really what the word is, is how I try to define it for people is God making all that is wrong with the world right. Most of which, including relationships, my relationship with him is made right. And it's God's act doing that. And he is demonstrating his righteousness, but it is also his justice. His justice as in God is, because he is a just God, we follow a God that the things that are wrong are made right. So all the, the, and Grant did a great job of teasing that idea out. The things that we feel that are wrong with the world, God feels that too. And because of Jesus, he makes it right. And so now our call as believers, right? If you go to 1 Corinthians, it says that uh, he made him who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Not that we might become this right standing people. No, no, that we would become the people because right before that, he calls us the ambassadors of Christ, that we become the people who help to enact all making right, all that is wrong. Like he invites us into that story and what's wrong? Relationships, our relationships with people, our relationships in this world are broken and God invites us to help make those things right. So it's this huge picture. So when you see those two words, it, they're, they are interchangeable. And it's this beautiful picture of, man, we serve a God who made all things right. Again, it's not just about how I look. It's really, it's so big picture. And so if I was going to teach, I would just, that's where I hammer in just because we miss it. We, we minimize really what God did through Jesus. Mm-hmm. We don't see the bigness of that picture. And it, it is such an incredible thing when you study it out. It's, it, it really is amazing as you look through the Old Testament and and see what God does, like I said, and then get to the New Testament, and the word is almost identical because that's what Paul saw. That's that's how they viewed it. So it's really cool. Well, I think about that word just, and it's so important. He did this, verse 26, he did this to demonstrate. He had to demonstrate. He had to show his righteousness or justice at the present time so as to be just. So these are two things that he wanted to accomplish. He wanted to, I got to be just, and I want to be the justifier. So those are the two things that it talks about there. And he had to demonstrate that he was just because up to this point, he has not been just because all of the sins of all of the old covenant had not been forgiven. And all of that sin had just been piling up and God let it go. And he had not been just. He was not a just God to, to deal with that sin, to punish that sin. He had left it unpunished. So he had not been just. Until that sin is punished, God is being unjust. I think about in our church, we have four different judges connected to our church, four different people who sit on a bench, they hear the cases, and they whack the gavel, and they make a decision, and they have to, they are the picture of justice. They are the ones who dole out the punishment. Or set someone free, whichever is whatever is uh, appropriate. And I think about if we, if one of our judges had a murderer come in, a child molester come in, a thief come in, and said, "You are guilty. Like you did the thing. They got your fingerprints. There's your DNA. We see you on the video. Like there's nine witnesses. You have the stolen goods in your pocket right now. Like they were confirmed guilty." beyond a reasonable doubt. And the judge just looked and said, ah, but it's not that big a deal. Do you feel bad? As long as you feel bad. 
As long as you feel bad, you're fine. Just say you're sorry. Okay. Dink. And then that was it. We as a community would be outraged. We would not reelect those judges. They're all going to be on the ballot. And a couple of them will be on the ballot in November. They, we would not vote for them. Like we would not put them back on the ballot because they are being unjust. They are letting criminals go free. That, that sin, that, that breaking of the law has to be punished. You cannot let sin go unpunished. You cannot let the breaking of law go unpunished and still be a person who claims to be just. And so God let it all go. And then he piled it all onto Jesus and poured out his wrath in totality onto Christ so that all of those sins were paid for. So in that moment, God reveals himself as just. My wrath has been poured out because of these sins. But it wasn't that I just want to be just because he could have been just in making those people pay for their sins. Like all sin will eventually be paid for either by Christ on the cross or the person in hell. It will all be paid for. But God wanted to provide an opportunity to also be the justifiers. The justifier, it says he was just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. So he took on that sin himself so that we wouldn't have to. So he justified us. He he made us right with God. Um, And not just in the forgiving of our sin. Again, Josh, you make a great point. It isn't just about the doing away with the sin piece, the justification piece. God could have forgiven us and sent us away and rightly done that. But that's not what he did. He he sent us, I'm sorry, he sent his son who took our sin so that we could be brought in. He didn't forgive us to send us away. He forgave us to bring us in, to justify us, to bring us back into the family of God. That's a whole other step than just the forgiveness piece. So so seeing this, again, there's so much in this text. The fact that God punished Jesus in our place makes him just, and it makes him the justifier that brings us back into a and that Jesus was, him. you know two things and that Jesus like this is the mission mm-hmm. this is what he knew like yeah. it wasn't a surprise like he yeah. walked no this the Godhead determined this and then this piece of in the Son he he takes on the sin but as God he was a part of this plan it wasn't the Father cr- cruelly punishing the right. Son that's, that's not what it was it was right. the Godhead Father Son and Holy Spirit enacting this plan to rescue mm-hmm. the world and you know when you were talking about justice and judges that's this is our issue we have deemed justice to only be determined and defined by a select few and with the Hebrew people everyone taught the concept of justice, because this was at mm-hmm. the character of God. And so because we, in our culture, sometimes say, well, they get to decide the, what's just and what's right and what's wrong and what's fair and all that stuff, we just go, well, that's their thing. No, 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 no. For the Hebrew people, everyone was teaching the concept of justice because that's what God was. And so when you look at some of the laws, if you were unfair and unjust, he didn't want your sacrifices. If you treated the foreigner or the stranger in a way or the widow or the fatherless, he didn't want to put up with you because his call was to be the person of justice and righteousness. And so their understanding of it would have been so so much bigger. And again, we've just, we've boiled it down to legal terminology and, and it mm-hmm. robs it of the power 
of what God has in his word for us when we see this. That's why he says, but now his righteousness has been revealed. Oh man, they wouldn't have been thinking about a judge slapping a gavel. Like they would have been like, oh, this is his thing. This is God's justice finally being enacted. Oh, Mm -hmm. what a picture of, of it, right? And so again, sometimes we just, our language just doesn't suffice to what the Greek and Hebrew was, and we just we lose it, right? And translation sometimes happens, and so it's always great to go back to the, hey, what is God really trying to say? And it matches up with his character, which, like you are saying, this is a God who's always been about justice, and this has always been his plan, and man, this is who he is. This is the character of the God that we serve, and so we can trust in that, those promises. I love that you would have said you would have pulled in some of those Old Testament promises because we need to see that. We need to be reminded that this is God's ultimate act of, it wasn't an accident. Jesus didn't stumble his way into this. Right. No, this is what God always intended. And it was always the plan of the, of the, of the Godhead. So, yeah, that's good. And I don't, uh, I've got a question It's on topic, but I don't want to run on too much of a tangent. As you guys were talking about um, this idea of atonement, right? Christ in his body on the cross, bearing this, the spiritual weight of sin, past, present, future sin, all inclusive in his body on the cross. Do you, uh, I want to make sure I answer this or ask this question the way that I intend it, but do you think that sometimes we can miss what happens through the crucifixion when we focus exclusively on the physical details? right? On the fact that he was crucified, nails driven through the, the arms and through the legs and pierced in the side. Like, do you think we miss anything by focusing too much on the physical? Is there another element in play there when it comes to the spiritual weight that he felt of literally bearing the sins of the world on his shoulders? A hundred percent. It goes it goes further than just bearing the sin. Like First Corinthians talks about he who had no sin became sin mm-hmm. for us. So, yeah, it was that spiritual weight of all of the sin of the world that the the wrath of God was poured out on all of that sin. And again, we got to remember this is he's bearing the wrath of God. He didn't just die for my sin. He died in place of all sinners. Well, not all sinners, but all sinners who come to faith in him. He mm-hmm. died in their place. So, yes, well beyond the physical piece. It is yeah. that spiritual, he who had no sin became sin. He was transformed from righteousness to the ultimate picture of sinfulness. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the way David Platt put it one time. He talked about how at the cross we see Most people talk about at the cross how we see the love of God, and that's true. We do see the love of God, but we also see the hatred of God. Like in the cross, we both have this picture of how much God hates sin. By what happened to Jesus, we see a physical representation of how much God hates sin and sinners. Like Psalm talks about God hates the sinners, We see it. What happened to him is God's wrath against sin and sinners. But at the same time, the cross shows us how much love God has for sin and sinners by pouring his wrath out on his son instead of on us. So, yeah, it goes well beyond just the physical. And I guess I've always had a hard time, right? We talk about the the physical death of Christ on the cross, like almost every week when we do communion, right? 
And I, I guess I've always wrestled with this idea of like, oh, what we're talking about is actually incomprehensible to us. Mm-hmm. Like we cannot, it's again, a part of this mystery. We cannot ever, and by the grace of God, will not experience for those of us who have put our trust and faith in him, the weight that Jesus experienced on the cross. Like that, mm-hmm. that cannot be placed on our shoulders, yep. right? So uh, I guess that's, that was just swimming through my head. Like, oh yeah, we can talk about the physical. And we can say, yeah, that must have really hurt physically. Mm-hmm. It's incomprehensible the the um, spiritual emotional weight of what that would have been like. Well, that, I mean, it's the agony. My right. God, my God, why have you forsaken me? To tie us back to Psalm twenty two, this weight, this feeling. I love Peter, right? First Peter chapter two twenty four. He himself bore our sins in our bodies, so that we might die to sin and what live for righteousness. righteousness. Yeah. Again, that's the word. That's the biggest picture. Again, it's more than just physical. Mm-hmm. It is the unleashing. And Paul's going to talk about that in Romans 8, right? The creation is groaning. It is longing. It is broken. And Jesus is the solve. He didn't just, it's not the personal salvation piece, mm-hmm. which again, I'm not saying that's not a part of it. Jesus definitely is personal salvation, but he made all that is wrong with the world right. It is so big. It's all of creation is broken. Not just me and you. Yeah, Everything is broken. So Jesus' death, the totality of it is so much bigger than just, yes, a physical person who died on a cross. Because again, we say a cross is pretty bad, but there's a lot other ways to die too. Like being yeah. filleted alive. Like that sounds terrible. Having your flesh ripped off to you. That doesn't sound awesome, no. right? But it was so much more than just Jesus dying on a cross. And he did endure that pain. Yeah. But the pain— of bearing the sins of the world. Right. Like, bore the sins. I'm like, wow, yeah, that's cer- huge. Certainly, I don't want to minimize the physical experience. No, no, I, I don't want to do that. Yeah, no, no. What but, I'm saying is I don't know that any of us can articulate the the spiritual experience. And, and that's, that's why, the thing that we have a hard time. And you look at the, if you look through the New Testament, when they describe the cross, there's so many different analogies that even the New Testament writers use because we it is hard. They use the Day of Atonement. They use rescue. They use mm-hmm. freedom. They use redemption. They use satisfaction. They use all of these things because it is so hard for us to narrow it down into just one thing. They mm-hmm. use substitution. You know, that's the picture of it. it yeah, there is good. so much, so many different ways that I think we do have to describe it because with you, it's, it is, it's massive. Yeah, yeah. Well, we did get one question about Sunday's message, a uh, part of the text that it's to- it was, would have been towards the tail end of the sermon that we didn't really get to flesh out quite as much as maybe we would like. So let's dig into this. The question is this, uh, can you elaborate on Romans 3.31? So here's what the text says. It says, do we then nullify the law by this faith? And Paul answers his own, right, kind of rhetorical question. Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. So the question is this, as Gentiles, as people today, like right now, you, the three of us in this room, how do we uphold the Torah law today in a practical sense? So essentially, I think what the, the question is asking is making the assumption that Paul is talking about like all of the law of Moses. How do we uphold those things? Do we? Do we need to still uphold those things? What's Paul actually saying here? So that's a great question. It actually leads into what we'll talk about a little bit next week. Um, So chapter four begins with, what shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to this flesh, discovered in this matter? What matter? About whether or not we're upholding the law. And so he's talking about, he's going to give Abraham as, as an example. The question is actually related to, does the law save us? Okay, so it's not, are we, when it says, do we then nullify the law by this faith? 
He's saying, does the law save us? Is there anything? Are we saying that the law has no salvation values that there's what what does this law have to do with us and he says look no we're not trying to get away from the law rather we're upholding it like this was the point the whole time we're upholding we're fulfilling what was promised and let me take you back to abraham to show you that so that's the bigger picture we'll get into that a little bit more next week but to answer the question let me let me try to define the law when we say the law what do we mean there are really three ways three kind of categories of the Old Testament law. You have the uh, temple law. So think everything that has to do with the sacrificial system. You know, you got to bathe yourself on this day and take this goat and go to the priest and go offer this sacrifice and the grain offerings. And you have the temple law. So there was very strict rules about when to go to the temple, when to go to the sacrifice, when to go to the priest, so everything there to do with the, the temple. Then you had the um, kosher laws. So think about all of the dietary restrictions. So that's another category. You can't eat shrimp, you can't eat catfish, you can't have bacon or ham or pork or sausage of any kind, right? So you got all the dietary restrictions. So those are two different categories. And both of those categories have been abolished. Like the, none of those have any bearing on our life anymore. Both of those categories have been exploded. Jesus fulfilled the final sacrifice. So we don't have to do any of the sacrificial system any longer. We don't have to sacrifice any goats or uh, lambs. We All of that is done. So nothing with the temple matters, all of those laws out the door. So those cleanliness laws that related to the temple out the door. The second is the dietary laws. They're all gone. Like they are done. Like Peter was sitting there, had a vision from God. He had this vision and filled with all of these unclean animals are coming down on a sheet. And God says to Peter, get up, kill and eat. And Peter says, no, I can't do that. They're all unclean. And God says, do not call anything that I have created unclean, get up, kill and eat. So he, the Bible explicitly says that in that moment, he declared all food clean. So all of those dietary restrictions are gone. We don't have to worry about any of those anymore. There is one last category, and that would be what we would call the moral laws. So think about the Ten Commandments. Those are the moral laws. Think about, you know, don't kill people, don't steal, don't lie, don't cheat, don't murder, what whatever the moral laws. And that piece of the law are all still intact. In fact, they were all reinstated in the New Testament somewhere. All of those laws, the moral laws, have been restated somehow, somewhere in the New Testament. So those all still apply. And oftentimes taken a step further by Jesus himself. For sure. Right? Yes. You look at the Sermon on the Mount, and that's essentially what he's doing. Yes. Takes those moral laws and says it's actually even less about the actions, and we have to include the attitude. What's going on in the heart, not just in the hands. So Yes, Jesus, those moral laws are still in place. And so we'll talk about that as we get to the end of Romans. Like one of Paul's distinctives as he writes his letters, he fleshes out the gospel first and then he applies it later. And so we're still in the application part. I'm sorry, we're still in the the explanation part. We'll get to the application part in a little bit. But the big question is, do we have to worship on the Sabbath from five o'clock sundown Friday to, no, 
those laws are are gone. Do we practice a Sabbath? Yes, that was still in place. Those moral laws are still in place. We don't have to worry about not eating shrimp anymore. We don't have to worry about grain offerings anymore. We don't have to worry about specific tithes anymore. All of that stuff is gone. But there is still this moral law that we are fulfilling, not in a way to gain salvation, not trying to earn something from God, but as a result of having been given something by God. So I think that's the way we want to think about the law. Yeah, I, I thought of uh, Hebrews 10, 1, just when you were talking about the law, and it says the law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming. Yep. Right? It's not the realities themselves. Yeah. So all of those things had a purpose. And I think Grant did touch on this too, didn't he? He said, man, it was the foreshadowing of yep. what was coming with Jesus. Like, yep. th- hey, this was all a picture, like the sacrifices of blood and gold. And if you read all of Hebrews 10, we can't get into it, but that's what it talks about. It talks about that the sacrifices, they were just kept having to be done annually. They had to keep doing mm-hmm. it because they weren't forgiven. We needed Jesus to do it. But So when I think of the law, I think of it in that picture, like how, how the writer of Hebrews and Paul does it too. They frame it in a, it's like a signpost of like what was to come. And Jesus says, hey, I've come to fulfill that. And like you said, even take us even further to go. Because Paul uses other terminology, says the law of Christ. And that's what I think he talked about in the Sermon on the Mount right? Love God and love your neighbor. And the Sermon on the Mount is essentially that. How do I better love my neighbor? Mm-hmm. So Paul uses that language, and he's really the only New Testament author to do that. And he coined that term because I think that's what he saw. He said, now the call for believers, it's not so much don't do these things, but it's actually live in such a way that you're loving your neighbor. And it's such a bigger picture. So it becomes really more, I think, a, a answer to the question is, it's not so much what should I be doing, <laughs> right? Like, and I think of a checklist, like, well, I did this today and did this today, so I'm good. It's more of a, I have to live in such a way that my entire life radiates the presence of God living inside of me. <laughs> that is, there's a lot of things that I'm not going to do then. I'm not yeah. so much worried about, well, what's the minimum of what do I, and I'm not saying that's what that question intended, but it, for me, again, it's framing it in such a bigger way because I think that's what the Jewish people were doing, right? Like they were trying to go, hey, what's the basic? <laughs> what's the bare minimum almost? Yeah, yeah. Well, and two, I, we had talked about this. I'll just hit on this briefly um, as we come to a close here, but we had hit on this prior to push and record, this, uh, this story that unfolds in Acts 15, right? And there's this great story of a, a couple of, you know, people that they say there's these people that came down from Judah and Antioch uh, into Jerusalem, and they're teaching these things about about the Gentiles, essentially saying, "Hey, actually, unless you're if you're a Gentile, unless you go get circumcised right now, you can't be saved." Right? So it, it's uh, this uproar within the Gentiles saying, "Hey, is that true? Like, oh, that's a big deal if that's true. We all know what that means, like physically, right?" So they come together and they, you know, they bring the elders and the apostles and they come together and they make a decision on this thing. And they, they come to this conclusion. If, if you have some time, read the whole chapter, Acts 15, but down in verse 28, it lands with this. It seems good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you, the Gentiles, with this, this uh, uh, circumcision. And with anything, not to burden you with anything uh, beyond the following requirements. You are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols from blood, from meat, from strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. And Jason, as we were talking about this before we hit record, you pointed out that all four of those things that they chose to abstain from, right? It was it was less about the physical things, but more about all of those things being tied to idol worship to begin with, to pagan 
worship, which is this shift away from putting your faith in these pagan idols and these these gods that aren't gods and actually into the one true God living by faith in the gospel. Mm-hmm. So I just love this picture in Acts 15 for whatever reason in the, over the last couple of years, I always keep coming back to it of this thing that like even the Jews and Gentiles were str- still wrestling with it in the early church. Like this is the book of Acts. Mm-hmm. Not only is Paul are trying to articulate this in Romans, but yeah, it's all over. All right. Well, anything else from this past Sunday that that we want to hit or any uh, sneak peeks to next week, Jason? Well, I'll just, again, celebrate the good news. There is a righteousness that comes by faith. We don't get in without a righteousness and you aren't good enough to earn it. You have to be given it. You have to receive it. And so, oh man, I just want everybody who's listening to make sure that you feel, oh no, I, 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 it's not that I just went to church or I prayed a prayer. I have been rescued. Like my, my faith is in Jesus. It's not in what I have done. It is in what Christ has done. So that's the whole point that he's going to keep pressing us to. Um, and, and next week, as we go to chapter four, he's going to flesh out for us. What exactly do we mean when we keep saying by faith, by faith, by faith, what is faith? So we're going to look at the life of Abraham to see what faith looks like. Yeah, that's pretty exciting. I can't wait. I think yeah. it's going to be really cool. It's a it's a church word. Faith. We yeah. hear it all the yep. time. We yep. see it all the time. So I'm excited to hear how we how you frame it within God's word. What's Paul trying to say? What does it really look like for us to have faith? Can't wait. Yeah, awesome. So stay tuned for this upcoming Sunday, and we'll uh, talk to you guys again real soon. Amen. We are so looking forward to continuing in this series this upcoming Sunday. We hope that you catch it either online or at either of our campuses, Prescott and Prescott Valley. In Prescott, you can join us at 8 a.m., 9.30, and 11 a.m. And in Prescott Valley, we've got 9.30 and 11 a.m. service. We hope to see you there. We hope that this episode added value to your week and your walk with Jesus. And we can't wait to see you again next time. Thanks again for listening.